Listening to Go Report, a true crime podcast. Yay! Yay! Back with the spooks! <laughs> Definitely so. If you're new here with us for the first time, then welcome. Welcome! We hope that you're having a good day and a good week and, and a, a good, good life. life. Always, always wishing you the very best. The first thing that I'm going to celebrate about. I am shocked. About? There's not 42 adjectives. Oh, there was not 42 <laughs> adjectives. There was not. No, definitely not. And that kind of goes hand in hand with my first celebratory note, which is you guys probably noticed from last week to this week that I'm actually speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really nervous about Junko's case last week because I literally could not talk. You guys got deprived of so much commentary, uh, so much fluffing. That was really, truly awful. Like, And now that I think about it, bitch, you did me dirty covering something like that when I couldn't speak. I'm you sorry. really, really, you must have planned that shit. It was not intentional. Uh, so I'm that is... I'm going to pull a Boone. Not intentional. <laughs> right, right. We were playing hot and sick. We were uh, playing hot and sick. But yeah, you guys, I just wanted to say thank you for like the patience and thanks for all the positive feedback. Another week has come and gone, and my voice is slowly but surely coming back to normal. So today I can actually speak a good bit. It's only going to get better from here. I'm very, very happy about it. And um, we do not want to go another week without you guys. That sucked. It really did suck. I it hated sucked. it. I hated it. That's why I said, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to record whether I can speak or not. I miss all of you. I miss doing it. We're just, we're going to do it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> but I am very excited that I can actually talk today. So Same. that's like the first thing. I'm proud of you. And I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. So, bitch. Bitch. Yes. Bitch. What? Bitch. Bitch. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Because I'm going to answer for you. No, you're not. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, before we dive into my case this week, I wanted to take a moment to share an email that we received from one of our listeners. Yay! Her name is Issa, and she had a lot of really kind things to say. And she also had a case request, which the case that she requested is the one that I will be covering today. Ooh. So her email reads, Hey, guys. First and foremost, I just want to say I stumbled upon your podcast a few weeks ago and was immediately hooked. I even got my coworker listening to you guys. <laughs> I binged every single episode in just a couple of days, and now I look forward to new episodes every Thursday. Hey! You two are amazing and do such a good job. I'm a huge fan of True Crime Podcast, and Core Report quickly became my absolute favorite. Yes. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Issa. That's the serotonin that gives me is indescribable. The joke a smile on my face. <laughs> and then she continued, I have a case suggestion that you may find intriguing. The murder of Jamie Rose Bolin. I've only ever heard one other podcast cover it. It happened in 2006 in my small hometown in Oklahoma when I was in seventh grade. Oh. 
this case is sick and twisted and it shook my hometown. I remember sitting in class and looking out the window and seeing and hearing helicopters all around searching for the missing 10-year-old. Purcell is a small town with the average graduating class being around 80 or so. Nothing bad ever happened in Purcell until this did. That is shocking. And she said it was bad. Kevin, which is the perpetrator in Mm -hmm. this case, is on death row and is scheduled to be executed in December of this year, I think. And then she said, here's some helpful information. And she basically sent me some links and some information about the case. So thank you so much for your email, Isa. It truly means a lot. And I appreciate you bringing this case to my attention because I'm shocked that I had never heard of Jamie's case before. You know, I've been avidly into true crime for many years now, and I feel like that I've retained a lot about a few cases in that time. Right. Uh, but I've never heard of this story until Issa wrote her email to us. I've and never it, heard of it either. It absolutely broke my soul and my heart in ways that I will never be able to put into words. Uh, and this case also absolutely shocked me to my core. Like, it truly oh, did. Oh, no. <laughs> so... I mean, I've said it quite a few times with different cases that I've covered. You know, this one is one of the worst cases that I've ever covered. And that holds true when I say it. But when it comes to this case, it's especially true. You know, when it comes to this subject matter, I try very hard not to compare cases in terms of, you know, this one is worse than the other because each case is individually unique. And when it comes to loss and tragedy, there's no comparison, you know. Um, It's all awful. It's all horrible. It's all heartbreaking. But this case truly disturbed me. And it is truly one of the darkest stories I will ever cover on this show. Um, It's one of the most evil, most horrible, and most disgusting murder cases I've ever learned about in my fucking life. Period. Like, period. A little bit in your defense... We do come out with progressively worse shit, though. <laughs> uh, you're right. We definitely do. We definitely do. But this one, like, I'm telling you, like, yeah. I just, woo-wee. So, Jamie Rose Bolin, she was an extremely bright, extremely sweet 10-year-old girl from Oklahoma who was brutally, and I mean brutally murdered, by her 26-year-old neighbor, Kevin Underwood. And it's fucking savage. Oh, God. So for this case, just like all of my cases, I want to throw just about every single trigger warning that I can think of for this one. There will be graphic descriptions of uh, both physical and sexual assault, body mutilation, necrophilia, and cannibalism, all of which happens to a child. So, yeah, uh, I hate cases like this. Uh, Murder cases in which innocent children are the victims are truly the bane of my existence. So if you can't handle that uh, today, then I promise I will not be mad at you for turning this off and listening to something else, uh, truly. But for the rest of you that want to trek this horribly dark and horribly horrible path with us, (laughs) uh, sit back and uh, try your best to relax. You won't be able to and buckle the fuck in because it is bad. Before I start, I want to add one more pre-note. Uh, This case, unfortunately, is one of the cases in which a trove of information surrounding the victim isn't really out there. Another one of those. Yes. Uh, I tried my very best to gather what I could because I want to make this episode about Jamie and her life and how her community was absolutely devastated by what happened to her. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, I took what I can find. I will make this as much of a deep dive as I possibly can. I just wanted to throw that in there before we begin. So Jamie Rose Bolin was born to her parents, Curtis and Jennifer Bolin, on August 7th, 1995 in Edmond, Oklahoma. And right off the bat, that's one of the things that just makes my heart sink about this case because I was born in 95. So if Jamie Rose were alive today, she'd be a little older than me. Yeah. And that just breaks my fucking heart because this poor child had her life taken from her before it ever had a chance to start. And like just thinking about her being maybe a couple of months older than me, if she were here, that just, it absolutely just fucking breaks me down. So when Jamie was born, it became clearly evident that she was something special. Jamie had gorgeous bright red hair and beautiful blue eyes. She was also covered in freckles. Jamie was said to possess a smile and a laugh that was just completely contagious. She had the ability to completely turn bad days around. Jamie's optimism and overflowing kindness made it very hard to be in a bad mood if you were around her. Jamie was a Girl Scout, and she loved riding four-wheelers, sewing, posing for selfies, and she also had a strong love for animals. A few more of Jamie's hobbies included riding her bicycle, singing, and playing with her dolls. Jamie was kind of shy, but she was extremely outgoing at the same time. Everyone that knew Jamie from her teachers and even her classmates can recall how sweet and how kind of a girl she was. Not one person ever had anything negative to say about her. And she also meant the absolute world to her parents and her family, very much so. Jamie Rose Bolin was very loved, she was cherished, and her absence is still very much felt in the heart and homes of her family and other loved ones. Mm. Jamie's murder absolutely destroyed her family and her community permanently, like permanent scar. Mm. So Jamie, to go into her childhood, she grew up in a town called Dibble in Oklahoma, and this is where she spent the majority of her life. In 2004, 2005-ish, Jamie's parents would separate, and Jamie would move with her father, Curtis, to Purcell, Oklahoma. Okay. She was only eight or nine years old at this time. Curtis was working as an auto mechanic, and Jamie's mother, Jennifer, she moved out to Guthrie, Oklahoma, and she worked as a long-distance truck driver, I believe. So she was away a lot with work, Mm -hmm. but she was still very much a part of Jamie's life. Curtis and Jennifer co-parented 100%, and they did it very well. Nice. So in April of 2006, Jamie was 10 years old and a fifth-grade student at Purcell Intermediate School. During this time, Jamie's family was well underway with making Easter plans. There was going to be a big egg hunt, all kinds of other festivities happening. This was a fairly happy and exciting time for Jamie and her family. And Jamie herself was really looking forward to Easter that year. She was really looking forward to hunting the eggs and seeing her family and seeing her parents and spending time with everybody. But unfortunately, she would never see it. Damn. So Jamie and her father... They lived in an apartment complex called Purcell Parks in Purcell, Oklahoma. Okay. And one of the most horrifically chilling things about this story is that Kevin Underwood, the man that would savagely murder Jamie, like I said in the beginning, he was her neighbor. He lived in the apartment right below Jamie. And that just chills me to my fucking bone. Jamie had actually seen and spoke to Kevin on numerous occasions before he killed her. 
but we'll touch more on that in a few minutes. It's always closest around your home where you have to be the most aware. You never know. Like you never know who anybody, is living around you. And if you see a picture of Kevin, which I'll show you at some point, mm-hmm. he looks like the most average, non-threatening motherfucker. And then you're going to go through this and you're going to hear the kind of person he was and what like he did. Ted Bundy grade average. I mean, a little bit. I mean, he just, he definitely does not strike you by looking at him as someone who was fucking capable of even thinking about this. Okay. So, you know, anybody could be a monster. You don't know. And it's fucking scary. So now I'm going to switch tune just for a second so I can give you a very brief background uh, on who Kevin Underwood is. Okay. Now that we've covered Jamie's life leading up to when she moved into those apartments in Purcell in 2006, Mm -hmm. I feel as if now is the appropriate time to tell you about Kevin before we dive into the details of what happened. So Kevin Ray Underwood was born on December 19th, 1979 to his parents, Connie and Larry Underwood. Uh, And I'm going to go ahead and say now I'm not going to do an insanely deep dive on Kevin and his life because honestly, I fucking hate him. (laughs) I'm just going to be real. But there are some key notes that need to be mentioned when it comes to talking about his life because there were red flags everywhere, like everywhere. So in Kevin's toddler years, a few of his family members noticed that he didn't respond to physical touch like at all. He didn't respond to being hugged or anything like that. And he also would not interact with other children in any way. Wow. Like this was a little more extreme than just being slightly introverted or antisocial because, you know, me, I don't fucking talk to nobody. Like if I'm out in public, I don't interact with nobody. But this went beyond that. As a child, he would not respond to human touch or communication or any kind of stimuli. Any type of interaction. None of it. Wow. Absolutely none of it. Through his middle and early high school years, Kevin was bullied pretty intensely. He was a bit overweight and he had red hair. So that was something that he got picked on for. And this, of course, had a negative impact on him, as it does with anyone. Yeah. But as Kevin got older, through his middle and high school years, he started fantasizing about murdering someone. He even created an online blog with the username subspecies 23 where he would write about his days, his thoughts, all that kind of stuff. And on this blog, he would also talk about the dark and twisted fantasies that he was having. Oh, shit. So two years before Kevin murdered Jamie, in September of 2004, he wrote on his blog, quote, My fantasies are just getting weirder and weirder, dangerously weird. If people knew the kinds of things I think about anymore, I'd probably be locked up. No, probably about it. I know I would be. Oh, shit. Less than a year after that, in 2005, Kevin stated on his blog that he was steadily becoming more and more detached from the world around him. Another question he posted on his blog reads, quote, if you were a cannibal, what would you wear to dinner? End quote. What? What the fuck? And then (laughs) he responded to himself on that same post saying, quote, the skin of last night's main course. End quote. So he made that post and he responded to himself. And that's just my. Yeah. My asshole. Oh, you you don't. Oh, God, you don't know what's coming. It's it's horrible. I'm I'm detaching hard as fuck right now getting through this. You guys, <laughs> I really, truly am. You'll see why when we get there. Um, but those blog posts, those are just a few small examples of things that Kevin would put on his blog. Over the years, he also had posts hinting to the fact that he was experiencing 
extremely intense fantasies involving abduction, rape, torture, and cannibalism. He was fucking deranged. Deranged. Dude, God. Kevin even went on to start mutilating Barbie dolls as a way to act out his violent fantasies. He was taking these Barbie dolls, disarticulating them at the joints and decapitating them, and driving nails into their eye sockets and needles through their cheeks. Okay, I I dismembered my Barbie dolls too, but I never did some shit like that. So Yeah, it's weird. And that's... Kevin, he would describe in a police interview later, like when he confessed to everything, that him doing this to the Barbie dolls was basically his way of testing his methods. Like he was acting out what he wanted to do on a real oh, woman shit. yeah, to these dolls. And he just said that outright. Oh my God, I he, just got so sick to my stomach. He was practicing. So in the years leading up to Jamie's murder, which is, you know, we just touched on this earlier, Kevin somewhat managed to keep up his appearance of normality. He worked for nine years at a local Carl's Jr. restaurant in Purcell, which this is totally random. It has nothing to do with the story, but it's something I learned that I thought was kind of cool. The Carl's Jr. in Oklahoma is the equivalent of the Hardee's here in Georgia. Like in Oklahoma, Hardee's is called Carl's Jr., and yeah. I did not know that. So yeah. that's like common knowledge, I guess. I don't know. But I learned that. And I was like, wow, Carl's Jr. Hardings. <laughs> it was so weird. So, yeah, I learned that. It was weird. But uh, moving on, Kevin held down this job. And his boss, a man named Bill Verdon, thought of him as an honest, hardworking guy who did his job very well. Bill even trusted Kevin so much that he would let Kevin give rides to his wife and his kids sometimes. <laughs> Kevin would end up leaving Carl's Jr. to pursue a better paying job as a bagger at a local grocery store in Purcell. And that's where he was working when he did what he did. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's crazy shit. And also it's fucking terrifying again how monsters like Kevin can just uphold this seemingly normal facade when they choose to. They can turn that shit on and off. Yeah, and it's and the that, scariest fucking thing that ever. Is, right. It is truly terrifying. No one that interacted with Kevin on a regular basis ever suspected him to be anything other than normal. No one knew that he was slowly but surely losing control of his impulses, and behind his mask, he was planning to carry out an act of true fucking evil. Like, Evil. He was about to make his twisted fantasies a reality. God. So now I'm going to take us to the day of April 12th, 2006. Jamie had plans that day to go to the local library when she got out of school. She was going to be riding her pink bicycle to the library from home, but Jamie would never make it to the library that day. Mm-hmm. That same day on April 12th, when Jamie's father got home from work, he found that Jamie was not there as she was supposed to be. So he immediately flew into panic. He knew something was wrong, terribly wrong. So Curtis called not only the police, but he also called Jennifer, Jamie's mother, Mm -hmm. to tell her that their daughter was missing. And Jennifer was on the road trucking when she found this out, that her daughter had vanished. Like, I could not imagine that. As a parent, just thinking about someone calling me and being like, hey, Dalen or Alyssa is missing. Exactly. You would, would fly lose off the handle. My fucking shit. And then to find out this news when you're on a driving. When you're driving on a long truck haul, I couldn't imagine that. So within minutes, police officers and other residents of the Purcell Parks apartments were searching for Jamie. 
Like this entire community was just on it. It actually kind of reminds me of the Elizabeth Olton case. You know, if you remember that, that situation was the same way within the hour. They had helicopters, police officers, volunteers, firefighters. Everyone was on scene searching for Elizabeth. And this very much also happened in Jamie's case. Like everyone was 10 toes on the ground looking for this little girl. Right. Fine tooth comb and all that. Right. So back to the story, police officers, helicopters, various volunteers, everybody was searching for Jamie. Jamie's father, Curtis, as well as a few other officers were going door to door asking anyone and everyone if they had seen Jamie, but nothing came up. There were no leads. This child and her bicycle had just vanished. And the bicycle? And the bicycle. God. An Amber Alert was also issued for Jamie, either on the day she went missing or the day after, but an Amber Alert was pretty much immediately launched. So the search continued on, and it would be only two days later. On April 14th, 2006, that the search for 10-year-old Jamie Rose Boland would come to an end. On that day, law enforcement had set up multiple checkpoints all around the Purcell Parks apartments and surrounding areas. They were stopping every single car that drove in and out of the area. And in one of the trucks that was stopped was Larry Underwood and his 26-year-old son, Kevin Underwood. The FBI agent that stopped this truck, uh, his name was Carl Oversby, mm-hmm. and he asked them if they knew anything about the missing 10-year-old girl from the Purcell Parks apartments. And Kevin chimed in immediately and said that he was actually the missing girl's neighbor. So Carl asked Kevin if he would step out of the truck and answer some questions for him. Right. You know, they're trying to get any information that they can. This 10-year-old girl has been missing for two days. Like, they're just taking anything they can get. They're talking to everybody. Right. And it didn't take Carl very long to become incredibly suspicious of Kevin. So Carl then asked Kevin if he would come back to the station to answer a few questions, and Kevin agreed to go. After a short time of speaking with Kevin, Carl asked if he could have his apartment searched, and Kevin agreed to this. Okay. So when the cops enter Kevin's apartment, they search through his living room and then into his bedroom, and then they search his closet. Okay. I hate this so bad. And this is where officers found a big, gray, plastic tub that had been taped shut sitting on the floor of his closet. And before the officers could have a chance to open the tub, Kevin blurts out, quote, go ahead and arrest me. She's in there. I chopped her up. He confessed immediately. He just said, oh, yep, fuck it. She's in there. Go ahead and arrest me. 26-year-old Kevin Ray Underwood was arrested that day, April 14th, 2006, and he was charged with first-degree premeditated murder for the death of 10-year-old Jamie Rose Bolin. As Kevin was being walked out of his apartment, he kept telling the officers, quote, I'm going to burn in hell for this. So in his fucking thing? Yeah. So in his apartment, police also found and seized a large dagger, a duffel bag, a hacksaw, meat tenderizer, serial killer documentaries on DVD, and several barbecue skewers. The search for Jamie Rose Bolin was now over at this time, and when Jamie's father, Curtis, was informed by one of the police officers on scene that his 10-year-old girl had been found dead in a tub in this man's closet, He broke down so violently that he had to be rushed to the hospital. And, man, I don't know, thinking of that imagery, 
makes me especially sad. Like, I could not imagine. I truly could not fucking imagine finding this out. That's like a slug to the chest. I could not imagine that. And in my research, I heard it brought up more than one time, or I saw it brought up more than one time, that Curtis's whole life revolved around Jamie. Yeah. He didn't party. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He worked as hard as he could. He dedicated his whole life completely to raising his daughter. So this news destroyed his whole fucking life. And it makes me want to cry my eyes out thinking of this man screaming and crying so hard that he had to be hospitalized. I fucking could not. But now this leads into the really uncomfortable part of this episode because you're probably wondering, well, damn, you skipped over a lot. Uh, What did Kevin do to Jamie? What happened? What is the story there? Well, I'm about to tell you. And before I do... No, wait, wait, wait. Don't tell me. Uh, you said, uh, uh, actually, uh, actually, this episode's uh, over. If you would like to follow us and all of our weird, then you exactly. can. <laughs> We're ending right here. I wish that was the case, but unfortunately, it's not. I figured you would uh, piece the puzzle together. Oh, yeah, definitely, I definitely. Figured. Well, I'm, I am about to tell you, unfortunately. And uh, before I do, I want to remind everyone of those trigger warnings I was talking about earlier. Not only am I going to tell you a summed up version of what happened, but I also have some audio from Kevin's confession. So Kevin will also be telling you in his own words exactly what he did. And it's incredibly fucking disturbing. It's very hard to listen to. So, you know, before we go any further, this is the part of the episode where we're about to go way down, like way Descending, descending, (laughs) descending into the pits of hell, descending. I'm running out of rope. (laughs) So, on April 12th, 2006, Jamie got back to her apartment complex after school. Her plan that day was to go home, grab her pink bicycle. Then she was going to go to the local library to meet some friends from school. So, Jamie got home. She went upstairs to her apartment. She changed clothes. Then, on her way to leave for the library she noticed that Kevin was standing around outside. And if you remember me briefly bringing up that point earlier, Jamie was actually really familiar with Kevin. Right. She would often stop and talk to him. They so trusted him. To Jamie, Kevin was just her friendly neighbor that she spoke to sometimes. Kevin also had a pet rat that he would let Jamie pet and play with, like he would be standing outside with the rat on his shoulder. There's and because Jamie... Right, and because Jamie loved animals, she'd be like, ooh, you know, can I pet the rat? Of course. That's kind of what happened. So Jamie stopped, and she said hey to Kevin, and she asked if she could go in his apartment to pet the rat before she went to the library. This is something that she had done many times. So in this poor child's mind, this was 100% a trusted situation. Yeah. She just wanted to pet the rat before she went to meet her friends. She had no idea what this fucking monster was planning to do to her. Kevin had planned this, and he specifically targeted Jamie because in his own words later on, he said, quote, I took a liking to this girl. I had many chances to get her. She was a real trusting kid, and if it wasn't going to be me, then it was going to be someone else, end quote. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Fucking disgusting. Mm. So, like, was this loser just standing around outside just waiting for an opportunity to strike yes. like yes and over the weeks and months of him interacting with her jamie being his neighbor he slowly, slowly started building. to plan it he slowly oh, started to plan it God. 
So Kevin lets Jamie inside his apartment, and she goes and sits on the floor in front of the rat's cage, and she started petting the rat. Mm. Kevin would describe later in his interrogation that he felt this incredible excitement and urgency. He told detectives that as Jamie sat on the floor of his apartment, that he spent maybe 15 minutes struggling with himself. He couldn't decide if he wanted to go through with his plan or not. And he told the detective specifically that the only thing making him question himself was his fear of getting caught. It wasn't a question of battling his humanity, you know, I don't really want to kill this girl. He was struggling with, well, I really want to kill her, but do I want to do it and get caught? So fucking disgusting. So Kevin decided that the time was right after a few minutes of sitting in there with Jamie, and he wanted to, in fact, go through with his plan. So beside his recliner in his living room, he had pre-placed a thick wooden cutting board, a cutting board that he was going to use to knock Jamie unconscious with. He had handcuffs and duct tape near his door at the ready, Mm -hmm. and Kevin also had prepared for his attack by, like I said earlier, purchasing meat tenderizer and barbecue skewers. So as this poor 10-year-old girl is sitting on his floor with her back turned to him, she's just playing with this rat. Kevin slams the cutting board down on top of Jamie's head. And this next part especially makes me beyond fucking angry, and it makes me want to cry, truly. But when Kevin was telling these events to detectives, he said that when he struck Jamie the first time with the cutting board, that she immediately started crying and screaming, quote, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, end quote. Jamie was apologizing to Kevin, thinking that she had done something wrong for him to hit her in the head with this board as she's being beat to death. Jesus. And that absolutely fucking crushes me. Like, this little girl is just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what did I do as he's beating her with a cutting board? So Kevin struck Jamie over her head approximately four times before he jumped on top of her. A physical struggle ensued. Kevin also made the comment during his interrogation that he, quote, could not believe how strong Jamie was. He said, quote, it took me 15 to 20 minutes to kill her. Okay. Like, oh, Yeah. So Kevin had Jamie on her back, and he was using his knees to keep her from raising up. He was basically kneeling on her stomach strangling her to death at this point as she's screaming and crying for him to stop. So after Jamie died, Kevin brought her bicycle inside his apartment. Then he stripped naked and proceeded to sexually assault Jamie's corpse. After doing this, he then positioned her body over his bathtub. He had Jamie kneeling outside of the tub with her head hanging over inside of the tub. He then used a rubber band to pull up Jamie's hair. Then he attempted to decapitate her with a large dagger from his knife collection. He pulled her hair up, leaned her over the tub, and started sawing at her neck. And Kevin stated that he couldn't completely behead Jamie due to him not being able to completely sever her spine with the dagger. In his confession, he says, I got to the bone. I kept sawing and sawing. Blood was going everywhere. You know, I couldn't separate her head. So Jamie's body sat in that position in his bathroom for some time. Kevin locked her in there with some burning incense to cover the odor of blood and vomit. According to Kevin, when he attempted to move Jamie's body, the contents of her stomach were leaking out of her neck wound. 
Oh my God. Kevin ended up placing Jamie's body in a giant gray Rubbermaid storage container, and then he taped it shut and placed it in his closet. He was hoping to preserve Jamie's body in the container so he could slowly eat her corpse over time. And now, the real fucking horrible part of this episode, now that I've given you a very brief description of basically what happened, now I'm going to play this large snippet from his confession, Kevin's confession, and I'm telling you now, if it's not obvious enough, this is fucking awful. It's absolutely one of the worst clips we'll probably ever sample on this show, like straight up. This full confession is an hour and a half long, but I took it upon myself to listen to all of it, so you guys don't have to. And, uh, you know, it was fucking awful, so I'm obviously not going to play the full thing. I went through and I basically clipped the main points of his confession, like the points that were relevant for what happened. Right. And I slimmed it down a lot. So what you're about to hear is obviously not the entire thing. But if any of you are brave enough and would like to go listen to the whole thing, then I'm going to leave a link in the show notes for you to do so. So, yeah, you guys, for the hundredth time, this is incredibly disturbing. If you feel like it's too much for you at any point, then I encourage you to skip ahead or maybe even go listen to something else. This clip is also a lengthy one. It's a little over 13 minutes. So with all that being said, we'll see you guys on the other side. Hopefully we make it through. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to play that clip for you now. Well, I did kind of favor this girl a little. I'd seen her, and I was like, you know, I, I was kind of like, oh, I'd really like her. But then as I saw her more and more, I, you know, I'd think, no, I can't hurt her. You know, she's nice. I, I know her too well. And, okay. Now, going back to um, the plan, you, uh, yeah, so, you had the handcuffs and the duct tape. Yeah, so what I was going to do is I was going to... Uh, you know, like I said, yank him in there, restrain him, and if, if it was a kid, I was going to just make them sit there and watch some porn first, and then I was going to have sex with them. And then... Were you going to try to make it, turn them on with the porn and make it voluntary? I was, you know, kind of hoping that would happen, but I, you know, figured it probably wouldn't. So you assumed so, that you would have to do it by force? Yeah, most, most likely. Okay. And then... You know, the uh, after the sex, it would turn kind of violent. I'd start uh, kind of torturing them a little and stuff like that. Uh, How would you torture them? Uh, In your fantasies, what would you do? Sticking large objects in their anus, uh, causing them pain that way. I had some uh, long barbecue skewers I bought. I was going to poke through their cheeks. I've got a... Uh, in that bag of porn, there's also a Barbie doll head I found on the ground a while back that I stuck some needles in. Kind of illustrates what was in my fantasy. It had like some needles in its cheeks and some nails in its eyes, but I wasn't intending on doing that because I the the, the uh, torture was kind of a late addition because at first I wanted the body to be pretty much unharmed because uh, what I was going to do after that then was I was going to. Uh, while they were still alive and gagged, I was going to uh, drape them over the bathtub and cut off their head. And uh, then hang them there and let the blood all drain out, good and drained out. And I was going to keep the body around for a couple of days. I was going to set the head on my desk so it could, like, watch me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, keep the 
corpse in my bed, sleeping with it, having sex with it for a day or two, and then I was going to start butchering them and cooking them. So, okay. Did you buy any pots or any special things for that? Just the barbecue skewers and some meat tenderizer powder and a hacksaw to cut open the head to get to the brain because I wanted to eat the brain and the heart and some of the organs. Uh, I was probably going to keep the skull. Uh, but then, you know, I was going to pretty much eat everything except for some of the organs and those I figured I could, you know, put it in a trash bag and probably throw away without too much uh, chance of getting caught. Uh, what today, when did it first enter your mind that, yes, I'm going to do this today? Yeah. Yeah, well, I didn't understand. Wednesday the 12th? Yeah. Do you know for sure it was a Wednesday? Yeah, it okay. was definitely Wednesday because I'm off on Wednesday and I was off work that day. Okay. Go ahead. I just did. Did you plan it for your day off? It was well. I, I'd been planning it. Like I said, I'd been planning it for months, buying supplies, and you know, trying to get the exact plan down of what I do and how I dispose of it afterwards. And, and the exact victim. And well, like I said, I kind of wanted her, but it didn't really matter. I mean, it's. That's to tell the truth. That's the main reason I was hanging out in front of my apartment is to watch all the kids and watch all the people coming on. It was, I you know, I had pretty much planned all along to probably get a kid just mainly because they'd be easier to grab and easier to get rid of afterwards, smaller and you know, put up less of a fight. But there was a few you know girls my age. I'd be like, you know, well, she's really attractive. I wouldn't mind you know killing and eating her and having sex with her and all that. But uh, did you find her attractive? Not really. No, she was kind of homely uh, but uh, that was part of me that yeah kind of found her attractive but at the same time not really now when did you come up with Wednesday would be the day basically the instant it happened I mean I said I there had been there was plenty of times before that I could have grabbed her if I wanted or grabbed some other kid but especially her because uh, like I say she got to where she talked to me and she'd actually been in my apartment a couple of times before that mm -hmm. Uh, she, well, she'd come down, because like one time I was standing out there with my pet rat, holding it and had it on my shoulder, and you know, she thought it was cute and she wanted to pet it. And then like later that evening, I was, still had my front door open, but I was like sitting on the couch watching TV, and she just kind of wandered into my apartment and, you know, said, can I pet your rat? So, uh, but yeah, she was a very trusting kid. If it hadn't been me, it could have ended up being someone else, because like I said, she just wandered into my apartment. With, I didn't, you know, force her in there or even ask her in. But then you have this Wednesday she came in. Now she came home from school. Because of what I really wanted to do, I you know, had kind of planned it for that day. But I mean, I'd been planning it for like every day for like a month pretty much. Uh, I planned, you know, to get her as she, you know, walked in from school before she had a chance to even go upstairs. And, you know, so it would look like she never came home from school mm. is what I wanted. But I was surprised and, you know, kind of annoyed to learn that she'd already been upstairs and, you know, come home and been upstairs and gone again. So I hung around waiting for her, and about 10, 15 minutes after that, probably about 3.45 or so, something like that, she, you know, came back home, just stuck her, she didn't chain her bike up, she just propped it up against the stairwell there, and went upstairs and came back down about 4 o'clock uh, in a new outfit. She had changed clothes. Yeah. Uh, on, on the first time she came home, before she went and changed clothes, you know, she stopped, she saw me stand there, and you know, she was just like, oh, this is horrible. I had to, and I came home from school and realized I forgot my house keys at home and had to go back and get them. And it's so hot today and I have to go up a big hill. And you know, she was just complaining about how hot she was. And 
she couldn't believe how hot it was around here. She said it, she didn't think it ever got that hot in Dibble, where she used to live. And, uh, and then she went upstairs and came back down in a uh, new outfit and with a cup, uh, a mug of ice milk, which the mug's also in the back with the uh, bicycle parts. Okay. And uh, she came down again, started talking about... You know, her bike was still unlocked right there. Yeah, it was still sitting there unlocked, which was good because that had been my plan all along was to take the bike too. So... Uh, looked, or, you know, if I couldn't get her on her way home from school to take the bike, so it would look like she, you know, was out on her bike and got kidnapped or run off or something like that. Uh, anyway, she came downstairs and was still, you know, she's like, oh, there's nothing when it's this hot, nothing good like a good, you know, ice glass of ice milk. And uh, she, you know, kind of chatted for a minute and then asked to come inside and see my rat again. And she just sat there on the floor. Uh, looking at my rat and uh so uh after she'd been there a few minutes i kind of you know made my way around behind her and was just kind of standing behind her watching you know talking to her as we were watching the show and kind of you know fighting with myself i'd, I'd grabbed the i you know reached up there once and grabbed the uh cutting board and you know then i like put it down on the couch i couldn't do it and so for like five minutes i just stood there you know going back and forth picking it up putting it back down and saying you know and finally, I was just, you know, look, either do it or tell her to get the hell out of the apartment, you know. Uh, and finally, I did it. And, you know, as soon as I hit her. What did she say when you hit her? That's something that's, you know, haunted me forever since it happened. Uh, she started yelling, I'm sorry. Which, you know, I'm just like, you know, what is she sorry for? She didn't do anything wrong. It's me, you know, I'm the one that should be sorry. So I whacked her with that, and she, you know, she's like, ow, and started crying, and she's like, oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my God, I'm sorry, and just saying I'm sorry over and over mostly, and I, so I whacked her again, and she jumped up, and, you know, I, I couldn't believe it didn't knock her out. I hit her. You know, it's, it's all kind of a blur once it started happening, but I hit her, I think, three times, maybe four, but... With all, each time with the same cutting board? Yeah. And as hard as you could. Yeah, I mean, every time I got harder, just I was like, you know. She's not going down. Yeah, so I'm like, why isn't she unconscious here? Because you think when you hit somebody, hit her, going to go. Because you see it on TV. They, yeah. Did she now, resist? She yeah, she, uh, like I said, she jumped. She was yelling, uh, God, I'm sorry. And, you know, uh, you know, let me go. I won't tell. And, you know, I mean, after I hit her a couple times, I finally just had to, you know, jump up and grab her. And she was, I couldn't believe how strong she was. I barely held her down. Uh, I finally... I like to never got her down to the ground. I mean, I had, to, uh, you know, how I I didn't want to choke her because, like I said, I wanted the body to be pretty much perfect. Uh, so I didn't want to leave the you know marks around her neck or anything. So I just you know climbed my hand over. Were you behind her, or were you looking? Yeah. Were you on, did you have her on the ground? No, I was. Uh, like I said uh, she got up and was trying to run around, and I you know grabbed her from behind, was kind of hugging her with mouth over her uh, hand over her mouth and nose. You know, I finally got her down to the ground. Finally got her. Yeah, I mean, we struggled. It it took me probably 15, 20 minutes to kill her, uh, to get her completely dead. Because then even after, well, anyway, I you know, struggled with her for a minute, finally got her down to the ground on her stomach. And so I was kind of sitting on her back, you know, with my mouth over. Or, no, she was on her back, yeah, but I was sitting on her, clamping my mouth. So she was looking down at her face and you were covering her mouth. Yeah, kind of sitting on her. 
not really putting my full weight on her, you know, kind of like on my knees with a little bit of my weight on her stomach to hold her down. And uh, did you feel aroused at that point? Very. Yeah. By the time I, by the time uh, I got done killing her, uh, you know, my underwear was soaked. You know, when when you get aroused, it'll start, you know, kind of leaking a little. Kind of pre ejaculation. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was. My underwear was pretty much soaked by the time she. Uh, well, even before she was completely dead. But, so, did you tell me you were sexually gratified during this struggle? Pretty much. Yeah. Did you have an orgasm? I didn't. Was it just I, I didn't or orgasm, but I was, you know, very, very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, just standing there behind her, debating on killing her or not. You know, I was starting to get an erection. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Then she still. I mean, once she was down on the floor, she kept me you know, almost slipping out of my grip, and you know, once I got her taped up, I drug her into the bedroom so I could open the front door and wheel her bike in. Because with my plan to eat her and everything, it seemed like the bike was going to be a lot harder to dispose of than the body. I never, like I said, I never actually had sex with her, but after I got her bike in, you know, she was laying there in the bedroom and I stripped her clothes off of her, licked her nipples a little, and, you know, kind of smelled her vagina, and I kind of got tip of my penis in her, but that was it, because I, I, mean, I was going to try to have sex with her right there, but... When you say in her, can you describe whether that, what body part that would be? Uh, her vagina. vagina. I mean, and I got her in there, draped over the side of the tub, which, you know, I thought I was stronger than that, but I could barely get her up on that tub, uh, and got a big knife. It's in a... It wasn't a butcher knife. It's a, one of the knives in my collections. Well, it's the only knife in my collection, really. It's this big, ornate, like, dagger. And it always seemed like it was pretty sharp, so that's what I was going to use. And I got her in there and propped her over the tub, you know, over the... She was out of the tub with, you know, just like her head, you know, over the edge, hanging into the tub. And I, you know, kind of got her, I put a rubber band in her hair so it would be out of the way. Because I didn't even want to, uh, like I said, I wanted the body perfect and clean. I didn't want to get blood all in her hair, so I'd have to wash it and everything. And uh, so I started sawing at her neck. I couldn't believe the amount of blood that came out of a girl that small, and it was already all clotted and everything. So you you had trouble sawing her head off. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, I was trying to remember where I was. Yeah, I went, you know, got I guess to her spine, and I just sawed and sawed and sawed and could not get it at last. And I was pretty much exhausted by then. And like I said, you know, as soon as I hit her, you know, I wished I hadn't started this, but you know, as soon as I hit her the first time, I was like, well, now it's too late. I can't stop now. Yeah. yeah. At this point, you decide you're going to put her in the tub. That container, yeah, I, I was yeah. like, yeah, I'd, I call it a tub. I'm sorry. Yeah, was, uh, the plan, you know, the plan all along for disposing of the bones was to use that uh, duffel bag thing. But then I was hoping I'd still get the body in there. But you know, I got her and realized, well, no, she's way too big for this. And I liked to never even got her in that tub because, because I well. You know, was, it, I, was the duffel bag, was it bought for this plan, too? No, I'd had the duffel bag for several years. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, Rob. But anyway, and, and you know, when I said from about 4 to, I was probably more like 5 to 6.30, I was online talking to that girl in California while the, uh, you know, half-beheaded corpse was sitting there. Did we make it? Did we survive, everybody? Are we all still here? The amount of rage in my body right now it's bad i'm literally shaking i told you it was bad it's bad it is it is more than bad
bad is not the word for this. For someone to be aroused by killing a child, I just... Yeah, it's really, really okay, tough. Okay, everybody. All right, all right, all right. And also, I hate to, I hate to say this, but it is a detail. Um, like I said before that clip, that is nowhere near the whole interrogation. That is nowhere near all of it. If you want to listen to all of it, it'll be in the show notes. But evidently, when he was strangling Jamie to death and he had his knees in her stomach mm-hmm. and he, you know, he had already beaten her with the cutting board and now he's strangling her. She was crying and screaming so hard and freaking out so hard that she had urinated on herself and she started puking, uh, which is why Kevin said, you know, not in that actual confession, but when he went to move Jamie's body to decapitate her and he made the neck wound, her stomach contents were coming up through her neck from where she had been puking in the last minutes of her being alive. And it's absolutely, uh, it's horrible. Like, it is absolutely fucking horrible. Purcell Police Chief David Tompkins would state, quote, As far as a potential motive goes, this appears to have been a part of a plan to kidnap a person, rape them, torture them, kill them, cut off their head, drain the body of blood, rape the corpse, eat the corpse, then dispose of the organs and bones, end quote. Throughout all of this, my asshole has left my body with such velocity <laughs> that it has gone halfway around the world at the speed of mock Jesus, and there is no sign of stopping. Oh, God, not mock Jesus. Not mock Jesus. It has broken the sound barrier, my friend. I'm telling you, putting this episode together was fucking horrific. I'm, I, I'm still shaking. Like, I'm literally sitting here shaking so immediately after that confession kevin ray underwood was officially taken into custody to await his trial eight days after 10 year old jamie rose bolin was brutally murdered on april 20th 2006 a memorial service was held for her in the gymnasium of purcell high school over 1,000 people were in attendance including police officers and volunteers who helped look for jamie her girl scout troop was also present And from what I could read, and it it was just absolutely heartbreaking. Like, there was not a dry eye. Many people spoke at this funeral. And some of Jamie's favorite songs were played for her throughout the ceremony. Following the funeral service, Jamie Rose was officially laid to rest at the Summit View Cemetery located in Guthrie, Oklahoma. So it would be almost two years later, on February 29, 2008, that Kevin's trial began. He was facing the charge of first-degree premeditated murder. At this trial, Kevin's taped confession was played for the jury. His defense tried to go for an insanity plea, saying that Kevin suffered from bipolar personality disorder and that because of the bullying he endured when he was younger, he was incapable of comprehending the gravity of his actions, which is complete fucking horseshit that is the stupidest fucking shit i've ever heard in my life like listen to his full confession like you heard 14 minutes of it i listened to the full thing he was so casual and so like matter of fact yes there that sick fuck knew exactly what he, he was doing exactly he knew what, what he, was he was doing and he knew it was wrong he more than understood the gravity of his actions 
So yeah. I don't even want to hear that shit. Yeah, because he actually sat there and thought about, oh, well, am I going to get caught doing this? And how am I going to dispose of this and that third? Right. But he he like, was calculated as fuck. No, motherfucker, you knew exactly what you were doing. And in that clip, you heard him talk about, I wanted to purposefully get her before she got home. And I wanted to get her bicycle right. to make it appear as if she had been kidnapped. Like, or motherfucker, yeah, you like, knew what you were doing. Oh, you yeah. knew. Oh, yeah. The fact that after that confession that his lawyers came out with an insanity plea is fucking absurd. I mean, I get that they're, you know, they're the defense and they have a job to do. But at the same time, I don't fucking understand that. There is no no justification. There's no logic. There's no nothing. This is why I couldn't be a lawyer. Because cases like this, motherfucker, I am not helping you. Right. I am not helping you. (laughs) Right, right, right. So that happened. But regardless, no one was buying the whole insanity plea. No one was buying that shit for a second. It would only take the jury 23 minutes of deliberation to find Kevin Ray Underwood guilty of first-degree premeditated murder and the death of 10-year-old Jamie Rose Bolin. If I was the foreman of that uh, jury, we would be done in five minutes. Right. I'm telling you. (laughs) So Kevin was then sentenced to death by lethal injection. His defense That's tried still too good for him. Right. His defense tried to appeal this decision shortly after the sentencing phase of the trial, but all appeals were rejected. And the initial sentence was upheld by the courts, death by lethal injection. So today, Kevin Ray Underwood is 43 years old and he's on death row at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary that's located in Pittsburgh County, Oklahoma, and he is scheduled to be executed later this year. December 7th, 2023. And that concludes my case coverage of Jamie Rose Bolin. Okay, I'm going to say, like... <sighs> I'm happy that motherfucker is getting executed this year. He deserves oh, okay. it. Okay, yeah, that's, that's great. But why so long? I never understood that. Like, why are people on death row... Alive. Alive. <laughs> For years. I mean, it makes no sense. Krista being Pike. Being fed, being sheltered, being clothed, right, all right. on the taxpayer's dollar. Like, you could have been had this scheduled, like, yesterday. Well, you know Krista Pike is still alive on death row. She still hasn't been executed. And that is so freaking <laughs> like, aggravating. There's more than one case in which this happens. Like there's I don't understand the system or the order that it goes in. I truly don't, but I mean we could talk all day about how the system is flawed. Right. Very but much so. <laughs> we could literally talk all day about this. However, the minute you get that fucking death sentence, you got two weeks, bitch. Right. And then it's over with. You were like, what's the point of a death sentence? Oh, last time I checked, it's death, right? Like, right, <laughs> it's death, right? Like, you obviously have done some... I mean, I get they probably do that to double check and make sure that the person that they have on death row is without a shadow of a doubt guilty and they're not... Right. Because there have been like instances that. in which innocent right. people have right. been executed. I get that. I get that. I understand But that. in a case like this With where there's the no where there's no questioning... Right. There, Yeah. No, I agree. So what the fuck? It could be this whole long tangent that we go I'm on. I'm telling you. But, you know, now that we're at the end of this, I want to reference... Uh, Issa's email. This happened in her hometown. If you remember, she yeah. was in seventh grade and she remembered seeing in her classroom helicopters and police officers looking for Jamie. 
Yeah. Like I, I could not imagine scary because if it, I could not imagine if he's going to sit there and say, well, if it wasn't me, it'd be somebody else. Well, if it wasn't Jamie, it could have been somebody else. Exactly. And it would have been based on what we've heard. It would have been. Had he not gotten caught, it would have continued. Exactly. Because absolutely. Because these people that do this type of sick shit, they are never satisfied and they are constantly, it's like an addiction. You are constantly chasing that first high. Right. And that's like, you're constantly chasing that first kill. Right. Exactly. So, you know, if we understand anything about psychology, it's that type of shit that is the scariest fucking shit in the world. More so than the unknown. More so than paranormal. More so than extraterrestrial. <laughs> this is real life horror shit. Exactly. This- Humans are the scariest fucking animal on this planet. I absolutely agree with you. It's just at the end of this with Issa's email requesting this case. I also want to say thank you again, Issa, for bringing this case to my attention. I very much think Issa, that. No, thank you. Uh, Issa. Yeah. Ma'am. <laughs> I am traumatized for the rest of the evening. <laughs> I mean, I definitely believe that Jamie's story needs to be told. It does. It I does. was shocked that I hadn't heard of this. And for Issa to be literally in Purcell, this is where she's from. She kind of saw this unfold at a young age. I mean, goodness gracious. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. Yeah. Because we always, and I know you agree with me, we always try to use this platform for good. Right. If it's a story that definitely needs to be out there and it needs to have more attention, you know, like Hendrick Johnson. Right, or exactly. This case, there's countless. Or, you know, there's countless. There's countless. None of these people deserve to lose their lives. None of them. No. It doesn't matter how, even if they were like a piece of shit person in this world. No one deserves anything like this to happen to them. Like it's, it's insane. Unless you're a pedophile. Unless you're a pedophile, then our opinion may change. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this case was horrific. Thank you again for the hundredth time, Issa, for emailing us. I hope you enjoyed the coverage. I hope that I did it justice. And I'm about ready to get off of here. So if you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our weird, well, you can definitely do that. You can find us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast. And Twitter. At Gore Report. Squidward. Yay, Squidward. <laughs> Don't forget our email, guys. GoreReportPod at gmail.com. If you're feeling froggy, send us a letter. Of course, we would love to hear from you. We always adore that. And we love you as long as you consent to it. Because consent is very fucking important very fucking important kevin in case you didn't fucking miss that shit it's very fucking important okay i'm ready to get the fuck off of here okay so don't trust anybody around your fucking kids i don't care how long you've known this person i don't care how long they have been going back and forth to this apartment or that apartment you don't know who was underneath that mask Thank you and good night. (laughs) Bye. Bye.